Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, it's Tuesday, the 25th of February. I'm Jules Breach. He's Andy Brassel, and this is Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. Well, after another difficult weekend for VAR, we discuss whether the Premier League were ready to introduce it this season with the help of Peter Walton, former Premier League referee. And after your reaction to Manchester City and FFP last week, we move on from City's case and examine what exactly FFP is all about. Well, Andy, we had the pleasure of sharing the sofa on Saturday afternoon on BT Sports Score together. And what an afternoon it was. It was was a great afternoon. Of course, I'm not all about the statistics. I'm not all about the numbers, but you do owe me two custard creams. I do owe you two custard creams. (laughs) Andy had a whole plate of biscuits with a great selection, whereas I got a little plate of biscuits and they were all chocolate ones. And I'm not a chocolate biscuit fan. But yeah, it was one of those afternoons where I felt like we talked about VAR way too much yes. in the Premier League games. And I had a feeling that this would be one of the topics of our discussions today. Yeah. And um, sorry, um, Bournemouth fans, but I think we are going to start with the Giovanni Lo Celso thing, aren't we? Because that was not debatable, really not debatable. And um, yeah, I, I think we, we, we'll get on to, to hear what Peter Walton has to say about it. Um, but I suspect he might I, I i think he'll look at the employment of the technology rather than the technology it's, it, itself which is you know something because it's so new i think the analysis is sometimes quite confusing that's why it'll be great to get peter on because he'll be able to provide you know genuine referees clarity of the situation, which I think is something that's been lacking so far. Yeah, I do too. And and look, there's there's absolutely no doubting it. VAR right now, in the way it is and the way it's employed in terms of the way the laws are in the Premier League, it isn't 
working smoothly. There are far too many inconsistencies and I do not blame football fans all around the country for getting more and more frustrated each and every week. There were so many incidents from this weekend, not just Saturday at three o'clock, but the rest of the weekend as well that we could pick up on. But there were a few key ones. And, and as you say, Andy, one of the one of those ones that we have to start with is La Celso. Now, Obviously, we're, we're all saying that should be a red card. At the time, VAR looked at it, said no red card. The most unusual thing about that was that they admitted halfway through the match after that that they got it wrong. I've never seen that happen before. Well, of course, the worst part about it is the fact that the, the VAR ref, it was David Coote, wasn't it? Yeah. He, um, after being essentially hung out to dry by his employers was then after that doing another game yeah. a, bit, a bit later. I, I don't understand the timeline of that at all. I mean, that is something where it's clearly a, a failure of protocol rather than a failure of the technology it's, it, itself. I mean, anyone can make a mistake and I think we can all accept that, but that's something else in, in, entirely. Well, that gives you no confidence in the, in, in the people running the project. According to what I heard earlier on today is that Apparently, David Coote was obviously he did the so he did the Spurs Chelsea game at and lunchtime, then and City. then he did the Leicester Manchester City game. Now, apparently, during the, he, I'm sure he had several biscuits. He needed in the trailer. Them. <laughs> so he's at Stockley Park, and you know he had a good couple of hours in between the matches where he could sit down. And apparently, he was consulted and asked whether he would like to continue and do the evening kickoff still. And he said that he would like to do it now. I can understand that from a human perspective because he knows he's got something wrong. And I think that whenever you make a mistake or you do something wrong, as a human being, your instant kind of feeling is, well, I want to put that right straight away. Yeah, nothing so that's I, quite right. Yeah, and I don't blame yeah. him for, for wanting to go on and then do the Leicester-Manchester City match to try and correct things. Unfortunately for him, then there was another incident in that game. You, you know what? I don't even think him going back and doing the second match is the problem. I think the problem is... In between, the people who are running the project have said to him, "Oh, we've got it wrong," mm-hmm. and they've put him under enormous pressure and left him left him totally exposed by by doing that. If afterwards, you know, say for example, if we get to the end of the weekend, if you want to assess the project as it's going along, and maybe there was a bit like they have the the, the, the two minute report in the NBA where they go back and look at decisions from the last two minutes of a contestable decisions for the last two minutes of a game and bring it out like the day after or two days after if you got to the end of the weekend and you said right this was match day 24 in in, in the premier league um these uh, are the items that went to var and this is what went right and this is what went wrong i think that would be quite useful for everyone i think that would be useful for referees i think it would be useful for for media and for pundits to help them understand the process to understand the decisions and so everyone can see what's happening and 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 where it went wrong because everyone needs the information i think it's clear in some cases that the media need more information both about the employment of the technology and about the the current state of the rules because you know you can't look at the two things but you can't look at one thing without looking at the other thing and also for for fans i mean for me for example the the lacelso thing is Unfortunate. It's really unfortunate for Chelsea because they had two such incidents like that after the Harry Maguire Batswai one in basically the same spot <laughs> in the stadium mm. in the space of what five days. But but for me, 
mistakes or divergences of opinion, like they, they, they can happen. What is far more of a problem for me, and we saw it in um, France this this weekend, and you know I, we, we've heard people say that um, you know it's it's only England that has a problem with VAR. That is nonsense. Um, we, we had a thing in France on Friday night in the match between Metz and Lyon, and um, Lyon were awarded a, a penalty at the end of the first half. The time it took for from the original handball offence in the Mets penalty box to um, Moussa Dembele scoring the penalty kick. Eight minutes, 22 seconds. Wow. Eight minutes, 22 seconds. That for me is beyond unacceptable because you're talking about people who give up their time, um, pay lots of money to get into the grounds, come to the game, and they just stood there not knowing everything. The players are getting cold in, in in that time. You know, there's so much stuff that's that's going on. So, you know, you're always going to get a situation where not everyone agrees with decisions, whether you've got VAR or not. Mm. But having a situation where, and this goes right back to the beginning and it goes back to, I think, a lot of supporters and especially actually German supporters' opposition to it, something that they've been quite vocal about. The, the, the fact that the paying customer inside the stadium is absolutely last in the queue in terms of their experience. That, to me, is utterly unacceptable. And I think that this, to me, is really, really kind of resemblant of what happened at Turf Moor this weekend with Bournemouth and Bournemouth fans who I really, really feel for. Um, Now, I don't know in terms of... There were a couple of incidents with handball. What are your thoughts, Andy, on whether they were correct or not? Um, I, I thought both were correct mm. to, to, to be perfectly honest I think the upset was more um, the, you know the, the, the way it interrupted the flow of the game yeah. which, which is a different complaint I think mm-hmm. I know not everyone will agree with me other people will say you know maybe they, maybe they weren't handballs or, or, or whatever and like ones have been missed earlier in the season I, th- I think you were talking ages ago weren't you back in October about the Delhi Alley one against yeah. Watford where I think it was, you know, fairly proven to to be a handball before he scored the equaliser against Watford at, at New Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Um, I, I still think those decisions were were correct, but I, I can I can understand the the frustration. And I think one of the things that has maybe not been factored in is how this affects players, because we've, we've talked about the emotions of fans, and quite rightly so. But the emotions of the players are maybe something we haven't looked at as as, as closely. I think that's a, a massive great deal. Have players been trained how to deal with this? Can you train players to deal with it until they've experienced it, not just over a number of games, but over a number of seasons? It's something totally different to, to deal with. I think on both the physical level, we were talking about players waiting about for eight and a half minutes at Mets on, on, on Friday night. And from a psychological perspective, you know, because scoring a goal and you know whether you've scored a goal playing five side in power league with your mates or whether you've scored a goal playing at Anfield on a, on a, on a Saturday afternoon, it's the ultimate rush when the ball hits the net. When that's, you genuinely believe it's a goal and it's taken away from you like three minutes later, how do you deal with that? And, you know, we've, we've seen, we saw a situation in France last season, I think it was between, um, 
actually earlier this season between Marseille and, and, and Lyon, where you had um, a goal scored, a goal subsequently disallowed. Both teams made substitutions in reaction to that goal. They couldn't retract the substitutions afterwards. All these things have to be thought of. There's so much other stuff. It's not just a case of the decision. You know, it's like the old goals change games adage and people say, well, if, if that goal was allowed, the final score would have been 2-1. No, it's, it's, yeah. it's not like that yeah. because each action affects what happens afterwards and you can't replace one action and everything else stays the same. That That's not how chronology in life works, is it? No, and I think that with the game at Turf Moor between Burnley and Bournemouth, that what Bournemouth thought was an equaliser in the season they're having right now, where they are in the Premier League table, how important it was and how crucial it would have been for them to get that equaliser at that stage of the game had it been allowed. Well, you go from now, in it to done exactly. in the space and, of two minutes. And as you say, Andy, I also agree. I do think it was the correct decision. I mm. do think that the penalty to Burnley was correct. Mm. What I don't like the idea of is that there will have been however many travelling Bournemouth fans to Turf Moor sitting there wondering what on earth is going on. They have just celebrated the amazing feeling of their team getting back into the game, yeah. of scoring that equaliser, thinking, right, this could actually be the difference in us going down or staying up this season, that point, it could be. And then all of a sudden, hang on a minute, we're, we're going back down the other end of the pitch for a penalty. Like, what is going on here? And, and what are they seeing in the stadium? They're not seeing enough. Then No one's being told. And then when you go back to the players how Adam Smith must have felt in that moment because he, his reaction to keeping the ball in, which was then obviously deemed as hitting his arm and, and was deemed as a handball, he was he didn't seem like in that moment that it, he knew it touched his arm. So in his eyes, I'm assuming he thinks it's ac- accidental mm. or, or whether it was intentional or not is obviously another thing. I'm assuming that from his reaction, he didn't think it hit his arm and he thought that He'd kept the ball in and got his team back into the game. And as you say, it's then how psychologically the players pick themselves back up from thinking they've equalised and being on top of the world and being excited that they can get back into the game and maybe potentially go ahead and win the game and what that would mean to their Premier League season if they can stay up. Or, hang on a minute, we're now 2-0 down. How do we get back into this game? Can we get anything out of this game? That's such a huge difference of emotions I mean the change in the the handball rule has just come along at totally the wrong time and arguably the degree of tolerance for certainly defensive handball has gone in the wrong direction because you know we've heard the the ramblers talk about it before and, and and say you know if you slow it down enough any handball in the penalty box can can look deliberate and I I think that's right yeah. of, of course it's a wider interpretation now to to try and counter that argument. But, you know, we, we, we had it in Europe at the weekend. Zlatan Ibrahimovic scored an incredible solo goal for Milan against Fiorentina. That was chalked off because the ball hit his hand at the beginning. Now, I know strictly, strictly, and I'm still not 100% convinced. I don't think it was conclusive that it did hit his arm. It, it definitely hit the side of his body and then maybe touched his arm from there because his arm was flush on the side of his body there was no there's no need to go into like you know expanded silhouettes or anything like that and anyway after that he went on dribbled past three players and 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 scored no one from Fiorentina appealed for anything Mm. and um 
I think even if he'd have handballed it, and, and like I said, for, for my to my mind, it was not conclusive. I, I don't I don't see how there's any advantage in that, and that that is that is the rule. That is the rule. So I, I think I think the way that the rule has changed at this time with the employment of footballing technology is is far from ideal. Yeah, and I just, to be honest, for me as a football fan, my biggest problem with it is the inconsistencies. We've seen that with the handball rule this season. As because you this is exactly on. what it's meant to yeah. eliminate. It's meant to eliminate these kind of inconsistencies. Jules, is that because VAR has taken a wider remit than it was originally programmed to? What do you mean? So, for example, um, bar offside, it's meant to be clear and obvious. Mm. Most of these things aren't clear and obvious. Is, is, is that the problem? Yeah, I think that is the problem. And I think that... We saw those, these inconsistencies with handball this weekend because you've already mentioned the Delhi Alley one earlier on in the season. For me, that's no different to Billings at the weekend. Obviously, Billings was given mm. as a as a handball. Delhi Alley's wasn't. So that's an inconsistency already. Then we go back to the Lacelso red card that wasn't given. That for me is worse than Aubameyang sending off just a few weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, there's There's just, a genuine stamp there, isn't there? Yeah, and yeah. Th- there is yeah. just no consistency with any of these decisions. And it's, for me, the biggest issue with VAR and the application of it in the Premier League right now. Now, let's get Peter Walton's thoughts on all of this because I think, Andy, from me and you talking, one of the things that we think is that VAR is actually adding a layer of difficulty to the decision-making process of the referee on the field. And this is one of the things that we asked Peter Walton about earlier. VAR was brought in to assist uh, the referee. And that's why we gave it the the title of video assistant referee. It's there to assist the referee. The referee on the day should referee the game um, without the knowledge of VAR being there. When you look at VAR, does that add that little bit more sort of layer of pressure on it shouldn't. It's there to assist. It's there to help. And VAR should only come into play when that referee on the day has clearly missed something or there's been a clear and obvious error of judgment uh, in awarding or not awarding any penal offences. Do you think that's the reality of it, though, Pete? Or do you think really that it is actually adding a layer of difficulty to the referees from what we've seen so far? Well... Well, I, I just detect, and uh, it's not just in this Premier League, by the way, Jules. Uh, we, we are talking worldwide here. I just detect some re- some referees um, know that they have this insurance policy at their sleeve, which is the BAR, and they may not give decisions from that gut, that instant decision that they would have done yesteryear, knowing that if they are wrong or if they've clearly missed something, it would be corrected. So, yes, I do detect a, a slight um, element of um, inconsistency in their application uh, because uh, some may be beginning to rely a little bit too much on, on VAR and their involvement. All right, Pete, uh, just to finish up on, obviously this weekend particularly was quite a difficult weekend for VAR with a lot of decisions kind of riling up the fan football fans uh, all over the country. And I, I just wondered... With all this abuse and negativity that VAR is getting, how much support and guidance is there for the officials right now facing all this intense scrutiny that they're getting? Well, I can only really answer that from the, the, my involvement with Major League Soccer back in the US. I know the, the similar happens in the Premier League, but I'm not privy to the Premier League as such. But in Major League Soccer, the referees um, clearly had some kind of feedback from their performances 
from their uh, assessors, and collectively they'll come to sort of best practices and make sure they highlighted development points. Now, I will stress that um, the, the, the issue that Premier League are going through at the moment uh, with, the, with the consistency method uh, of decision-making, uh, that, that's been pretty much universal around the world as and when new federations or competitions introduce the AI. There is a teething aspect to it. It's a completely different aspect of looking at the game and administering the game. And clearly there should be a, a path there for people to get themselves ready, get themselves blended in. The question I would pose back is, was the Premier League ready for VAR and introduced it this year? I would also also say is that the technology that's in use at the moment is not at fault. It is not the technology. The technology is, is super throughout the world. We just need to look at the operators, look at their training requirements and their development requirements and make sure that we can bring the consistency back into place the way it should be, the way that the fans and the media and everybody involved in the game expects. I think Peter's uh, question is terrific there about was the Premier League ready for for VAR? Because I think it's notable, isn't it, that in so many ways the Premier League um, commercially, safety-wise, is ahead of the curve in European football. And yet the the, the last to, to to bring it in when it's, it's, it's been in... Um, Germany, Spain, Italy, Portugal for a, for a while now. I, I mean, I do have some sympathy with the idea, and I, I think Peter's quite right to slay the myth that VAR doesn't have any problems elsewhere. As we said earlier, it, it, it does. It clearly does. And um, it's, it's disliked by a lot of players, coaches and, and, and fans. They, they, they find it difficult. Um, but I do wonder if the intense difficulty is felt by because of the fact that of, of what the Premier League is and of the way we watch it and the way we perceive it. Premier League above most other leagues is about um, the visceral thrill of it, is about the tempo. And so is it natural that we feel that jolt a little bit more when that's interrupted? Yeah, I think so. And I, I think that the important thing to take from what Peter said there, particularly at the end, is that with VAR, the technology is not at fault. The reason why we're getting these inconsistencies and the reason why people are getting annoyed about the way at VAR is applied is because of the VAR officials and how they're interpreting the football laws and then teaming that together with the technology. The technology itself actually isn't the problem. And it's important to kind of reiterate that, what Peter said. It's actually more about the people that are officiating it. They need more development. They need to also kind of, you know, they're getting all this feedback from when they've made mistakes, when there's these inconsistencies. And that's just something that will take a bit of time. We've got to remember this is a completely new thing to the Premier League. It's the first season having it. As Peter said, it's a completely different way of looking at a game, of yes. refereeing a game. Yes. And it's going to take time until things are all consistent. Now, the difficulty is that we as football fans don't want it to take this long. We don't want it to have right. to take a good couple of seasons until these things are right. Because when VAR is brought in, we're expecting it to all be perfect and to get all the right decisions. Now, the only time we're getting all these literally on paper 
correct decisions, and I put that in, in inverted commas, is with the offsides. Because at the moment, the way the law is written, the technology is getting that bang on. While, while we're on this, I, I wanted to ask you, because I know you felt quite strongly about it. It's a good thing that there will be no more offside goals, for example. And you've been pretty clear on that and, and, and consistent on that on here. Um, what do you think of Arsene Wenger's suggestion about if you've got a goal-scoring body part level with the last defender? What do you think of, of of that? I don't think that that's clear enough. I think that there's still going to be these blurred lines. And I just, I don't, I personally just don't feel that this requesting there to be kind of daylight, all of that, all of these suggestions that I've heard so far, none of them work for me. Because it's it's, it's going to be precision just at a different level. Yeah, it's just... And it's, fine margins just at a different level. It's still going to be those fine margins. You're just kind of slightly changing where they are and there's still going to be people that get annoyed about it. So I think that the way it is at the moment... I know it's not ideal because I'm getting just as annoyed at these toenails or armpits being offside. Something needs to change, but I don't personally think that what Arsene Wenger has suggested makes a massive difference. How would you feel if um, offsides were called by the on-field officials and then if they're referred back, if there's an element of doubt, you go with the on-field ref's decision in in a similar way to like LBWs in, in cricket. I would feel more comfortable with with that, for example. Yeah, I would. Do you know one of the interesting things from the weekend's games as well is at the King Power, when Gabriel Jesus was in on goal and he scored, yes. the referee didn't put the offside flag up. And and I know that after the game, the linesman was praised for not flagging Jesus offside. Mm. I'm not being funny, but like, I personally don't think they should necessarily be praised for that. That's not necessarily the linesman getting that correct. That could be the linesman just not putting their flag up because they know VAR can look at it. Mm. So there's all these kind of weird sort of 50-50s or, you know, should they put their flag up? Oh, they put their flag up, they're wrong. Oh, no, they didn't put their flag up, they're right. It's like, I don't even know where we're at with the technology right now. And that's, that's what's annoying me. For what it's worth, toenails should never be offside. If you haven't clipped your toenails nicely, (laughs) you shouldn't even be on a football pitch. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odour control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. 
Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash ramble. Let's ditch the VAR for the week. And um, we had a good response to the FFP chat and Manchester City last week, didn't we? Um, obviously, that's going to be an ongoing process and that's going to be something that we we come back to um, in the next little while. Um, but I think one of the things that's been missed in the FFP discussion is what FFP itself is is actually for isn't it? Because um, I know a lot of Manchester City fans have said it's about um, the big clubs pulling up the drawbridge and all the rest of it. The thing to underline about FFP that maybe is something, well, I don't think we really had time to get into this side of it last week. Um, But the fact is that it's, it's never been about some magical competitive balance to the game. It's been about, um, stopping teams pouring everything they've got into wages, which I think globally is good for clubs at at every level of football. And it's actually worked. I think it's worked both for the the, the Premier League and the Champions League in terms of uh, putting a block on on, on some of those losses. And, you know, I I don't think we want um, a a game full of high-spec Portsmouths do we? You know, that's something that we, we don't really want. I mean, this is something that um, David Connors has, has written about extensively in um, the last little while. He, he wrote something really great in The Guardian on uh, Saturday. Um, FFP turned around Premier League clubs' losses and helped restore Liverpool. Now, um, something that's worth pointing out here is that um, Liverpool, of course, were in a, a bit of a spot under um, Tom Hicks and George Gillette, who loaded a load of debt onto the the club. And we're not talking about a long time ago. We're talking about 10 years ago when Liverpool were, what, 7th, 8th in the Premier League and they owed like £200 million to the Royal Bank of of Scotland. Um, It's it's very interesting, actually, because uh, one of the things it points out is that um, the certain certain things that are allowable are non-allowable under FFP. Like, there are certain limits that you can't breach in terms of losses involved with um, transfer fees and player wages, but stuff like academy development and infrastructure, that doesn't count in terms of FFP. I mean, one of the things that, that has not really been mentioned about Manchester City, wherever you stand on where they are, what they've done, um, something Manchester City have, have done very well is they've spent a lot of money on regenerating the area around the city of Manchester Stadium. And 
always under the the, the, the Mansour reign. They've they've done a lot in the community. There's there's no getting away from that. Um, not just in in terms of, of football programs, but social programs, uh, child welfare, welfare, uh, age concerns, sexual health, all that sort of stuff, which is super important. Um, and when David Conn talks about Liverpool, actually, a thing that he uh, talks about is the uh, fact they um, took out, uh, they they advanced a hundred and ten million pound uh, interest free loan to build the new main stand, which again is something hugely important. That's something that gives to the club not in the pitch on the short term. That gives forward to to generations of Liverpool fans, regardless what the team's like on the pitch. Um, of course, you can pour money into your academy and Rafa Benitez really it was his legacy the fact that he identified that that Liverpool's academy had to be um, improved and changed and that's something that they've continued to invest in and you know when we go back to the start of 2020 and that game that so angered Everton supporters in, in the FA Cup on the other hand it was a different kind of high watermark for Liverpool's season wasn't it because when you saw players like Curtis Jones coming through, and obviously we we know how Trent Alexander Arnold, for example, has has established himself. You know, you, you have a, a feeling that for Liverpool, it's not just about spending bucket loads of cash. Of course, the big signings they've they've made have made an enormous difference, but there's more sustainability to it. And I think in this day and age, never mind football itself, I think business in general, um, society in general, being sustainable is super important and so FFP has done exactly what it's designed to do but in terms of competitive balance it's about the bigger clubs taking responsibility and let's be honest most of the bigger clubs have shown no interest in doing that whatsoever there's something about as well as football fans knowing that you can produce homegrown players that just gets you so excited there's yeah. there's like a different level of pride when a player steps out onto the pitch for your team and you can go they came through our academy. Yes. We have built them up to be the player they are now and we hope they stay here forever. It's, well, it's why the Spurs fans sing that song about Harry Kane. Yeah, and it's exactly how Brighton fans feel about Lewis Dunk. And I, I know that obviously Brighton are nowhere near the top half of the table and mm. we're going to fight and, and to stay up this season. And, and we are massively in this relegation fight. But one of the things that I'm really proud of as a Brighton fan is that there is a long-term plan at the club. If you've been down to the Brighton training facilities down in Lansing and and you know what it's like down there, the infrastructure, everything that has been put into the club is building for the future. This is not just a, we've been promoted to the Premier League and we're here and we'll see how long it lasts for and we'll try and do our best. There is a long-term plan. It's the whole reason why the club brought in Dan Ashworth to be, um, you know, in terms of recruitment to kind of be in charge of that. And that's why the club have invested so heavily into Graham Potter. They've given him such a long deal on his contract because they want to plan for the future. And it's the same way that they're using the money that they've got in terms of the Premier League money, all of the television money yeah. and, and all the commercial money that they're getting from being a Premier League club at the moment. And they're putting it in to the foundations. They're building the academy. And I know that there's going to be some brilliant players that come through the academy because there's actually such a large area that we cover on that South Coast. And there can be so many players that come through there. I'm still excited to see what Solly March can do. We've still not seen enough of him in the Premier League because he's had injuries and whatnot as well. And he's another homegrown player from Sussex as well. So there are all these things that I think are really important that 
in terms of the financial side of being a club in the Premier League, that you can be really smart about how you invest it. I was reading an article um, that Rory Smith wrote for the New York Times last week, and he talked about what Burnley have done since becoming a Premier League club. And I think the top line of the story that Rory wrote was something along the lines of they've not invested in huge player wages. Instead, they've they've invested in bricks and mortar. So they've been also building an academy. They've, you know, built been building up their training facilities. They focused on that side of things rather than actually thinking, let's bring in some really high played paid players and try and stay in the Premier League that way. What they've actually done is thought, let's build for the future so that if we do go down, do you know what? We've still got that academy. We've still it's got those facilities. It's future-proofing, isn't it? It is future-proofing. And, yeah. and that's something that I see that Brighton are doing. And, and clearly, as you've already mentioned from David Conn's article, what Liverpool have done. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for all your correspondence, as always, at Jules Breach, at Andy Brassel on Twitter, at Football Ramble. And of course, you can email us both, Jules and Andy, at footballrambledaily.com. Our thanks once again to Peter Walton, the former Premier League referee, for giving us his insight on VAR and all things refereeing. And we'll see you same time, same place next week. This was a Stakhanov production. 